Today's Operational Excellence episode features Fuse operating partner, John Connors. John has been a partner at Ignition Partners, he's his alma mater, since 2005 and is also served as CFO and CIO of Microsoft. Throughout his career, he has served on many public, private, nonprofit, and civic boards, some notably including Nike and Splunk. In this conversation, he sits down with Fuse GP Cameron Borman to share about how to build and run world-class boards. John has seen it all when it comes to boards, and in this session, he offers some sage advice about what to do and what not to do. This is especially important in the wake of some of the recent notable public company board failures that we've seen. It's going to be a great discussion. Let's get started. Our next session of the Operational Excellence with uh, our esteemed guest, and uh, you might know him as the Fuse Operating Partner, John Connor, sitting here to my left. You know, John's probably one of the most experienced and influential board members in the Pacific Northwest. Prior to his time with us at Fuse, he was running the venture capital firm at Ignition for, for about, you know, for over a decade. And then prior to that, he held operating roles at Microsoft, including the CFO, the CIO, and running a lot of the worldwide enterprise group. He's been on boards at large companies like Nike and, and Splunk Public Businesses, as well as pre-public companies doing tens, if not hundreds of millions of revenue, all the way to the initial entry point and investment stage where we invested seed in Series A. So he's got an experience that spans all different types of companies and and also including nonprofit and civic boards as well. So, you know, John, I guess just getting going, we'd love to um, share, we'd love to learn a little bit more from you, how you approach each board that you join and really what are you looking for when you think about joining a company's board? Well, thanks, Cam. And it's a pleasure to be here. You know, there's uh, kind of two different categories of of boards that I would been involved in, you know, one was an employee and an officer of a company that had a board, Microsoft. And I got a, f- a fair amount of experience interacting with that board over multiple years in one role as controller, uh, then as chief information officer, there was occasional interaction. Controller, there was a lot through the audit committee. CIO, occasional interaction in the enterprise sales role, almost no interaction. And then as CFO, extensive interaction. So I knew how the board process worked for a big global company, but I wasn't a board member. I was an, I was an officer and they're, they're very, very different roles. So that, there was that experience. And then there was the experience of, of joining a board. Nike would be a good example, a large number of civic or nonprofit organizations that, we've, that I've been involved in. And then lastly, as an investor, where you assume a board seat, uh, whether the the company is asking you or not, you're assuming that as part of a contractual right that your investment has gained. And so three very different perspectives. But I think that the things that I've gleaned from that are are largely the same. I think the, the first thing is you can always get better at being a board member or interacting with a board. And that should be your assumption is that you can always improve uh, how you, you uh, contribute to the company and how you represent those, those stakeholders that you are obligated to represent. The second thing that is, that is really 
obvious as I get more experience as a board member and probably experience with life is there there is no substitute for experience for, for actually doing the job actually having the role and one thing you learn as a as a board member or you learn being involved in any organization that involves humans whether it's for profit or nonprofit you're going to have problems and you're going to have crisis and the board generally is going to be the organization that deals with the biggest problems and the biggest crisis. Having experience and then hopefully having some wisdom is very, very valuable for the organization, its officers, but critical to the shareholders and stakeholders who are relying on that board. And a a for-profit board, it's real clear who those stakeholders are. It's, It's the folks that provide financing, that have equity, that have debt relationships. But as importantly, on a nonprofit or civic, there's also very important stakeholders, those that donate to make the organization able to be formed and and function. And if it's a civic organization, it could be the citizens that have are the stakeholders. So having experience and wisdom and understanding you represent all of them is, is really, really critical And it's very hard to expect people to have uh, wisdom if they have no experience. And so the the key thing is you can always get better. I think the other thing that is really, really key that I've learned is it's really important to listen and observe very carefully. And I think about the Nike board I was on for 16 years from 2005 to the end of 2021. There was an incredible man named John Thompson who was on the Nike board for many, many years. He wasn't a regular talker in the board sessions, but when John said something, you paid attention. I think the other thing that is really key that I've learned is it doesn't matter what the organization is, what type it is, how big it is, there will be a subset of the board that is really the go-to team, the team that ends up uh, providing most of the direction, the team that sets the agenda, the individuals that are probably going to be on point dealing with uh, the crisis, dealing with the problems, dealing with, with management changes. So really understanding that there will be a subset that end up being the leaders on any board. And that's just naturally how organizations work. Finally, I would say it's absolutely critical to really be focused on what is the agenda for the year for the company? And then what is the agenda for the individual meetings? And how does that map to the goals and the strategy that has been set for the company? And is the leadership team bringing to the meeting the things that are most important for the organization or the company? And that's what the agenda is about. And so I think the always getting better, experience and wisdom, the listen more than you talk. I think the other thing that's really key is this notion that a subset will lead. And finally, the agenda matters tremendously. Yeah, I love that piece about always getting better. As a part of our Fuse growth, we actually had John 
do a session with us at our offsite in, in March. And he walked us through the top commandments for being a great board member. Well, and Cam, just think about how much more you know about being a board member yeah. now than you knew three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And how many highlights, great things, but also problems and crisis you've already dealt with in three years. Yeah. Quite a bit of them. Yeah. You, you know a lot more after, after just three years, but when you are on a board, you represent all stakeholders and all shareholders. And that's a really important concept for people to understand that legally you represent all stakeholders and all shareholders. And there's, that's a really important and key thing to understand because everybody has their own, they look, they look out for their own personal interests first and they have their own agenda is always their number one agenda. That's, it's just how, how, 99.99% of people operate. Well, when you're in a a board, you are assuming the the responsibility to represent all stakeholders and all shareholders. And that's a really important concept to understand. So if you go into every board meeting knowing, hey, I represent all shareholders. And as a venture investor, you have a preferred stake almost always. And you have certain rights that are laid out, but you can never forget that while you're trying to optimize for your stake, what your ownership, you have an obligation to every every common stockholder, uh, whether vested or not, whether in the money or not. And so that's a super important concept. I think the second thing is Great board members realize how serious the obligation is and how people are counting on you to be prepared, to be fair, to be judicious, and to do a really good job. And so it's very serious and you represent everybody. I think there's three key things that that every, every board is responsible for, no matter the organization's size, no matter the nature. The first thing is, is you're responsible for getting the strategy right and, and, and determining is that strategy that we've set needing to be changed or are we on the right strategy? So is the strategy right? Secondly, do we have the right leader slash leaders? But most importantly, do we have the right leader? And then finally, are we executing well and are we executing legally? And as a board member, no matter the organization, you're going to have all three of those that are really critical. Great board members ask the big important questions and work through or demand that the big important questions get answered or addressed. I think the other thing that that a, a really good board member is comfortable with is that clarity is kindness. Don't pretend when things are great, you want to be celebrating that, but don't pretend that things aren't bad when things are bad. Don't sugarcoat feedback, but also don't be too aggressive in how you push and how hard you are on a team. Be clear. That I think is really, really critical. I think the other thing a board member commandment that that I've learned over the years is conflict is a necessary uh, ingredient 
in all successful boards. You're going to have conflict with each other. You're going to have conflict with the team. You're going to resolve conflicts. Now, doing that in a, in a respectful, constructive way is, is really, really critical, but there's going to be a great deal of conflict. I think the other thing that is a key commandment is really good board members know that some of their most important work is going to happen outside of the board meeting, either with other board members as a group or individuals or with members of the management team or with important advisors and constituents. You have to be really clear that your primary role is not to be a friend or a pal of the CEO, the management team, and other board members, but it's to be a board member representing all shareholders and all stakeholders. John, you've been on boards from initial investment where maybe you were the only you know, outside board member that took the seat, all the way to seeing those companies develop five, seven, nine-person boards. What have you seen in terms of best practices of building your board over time and the right personalities to get around the table? I think probably the hardest board building by far that um, I have been involved in is in private venture investing in uh, nonprofit or civic world. You have a broad pool. There's generally a shared interest. The risks are generally much lower. In public companies, first of all, the board members are getting paid. Uh, so lots of board members do board work because they get paid. So you have a candidate pool that is going to be remunerated. There's also often a lot of public prestige on being on a public board. And there's a great deal of structured governance and regulation around a public company. So while there's risk, it's different than in a private VC investment. And in a private VC investment, you're going to get the board members largely that the investors supply because they're investors. And you may have a small number of independent slots available depending on the, the maturity of the company and how many board seats are available, how much does the founding team or the, the executive management negotiate to have independence? How much does the, do the private investors want as independent voices? But the construction of a private VC company board is very different. Private venture-backed companies, you're kind of getting what the firms supply. And so it's really critical that you probably, as a CEO, be even more invested in that board composition in terms of what are the skills this board member as an individual is going to bring? What's their background? What do they know? What's their network? Who are the other uh, partners or the affiliates of that firm's network that have the skills that are going to be helpful and useful? And really spending the time up front to understand what is the background? What are the skills? What's the network of this individual board member and that firm? And what can I agree and what can I expect from them to help me in, in with my company, whether it's recruiting, whether it's strategy, whether it's operational expertise, whether it's uh, fundraising? 
but being very intentional of upfront about understanding the skills and the network that the investors are going to bring so that you really have a menu of choices for those various things that you're going to need help on. I think the second thing is really spending the time to make sure that you as the, the leader of this company, the CEO, the co-founders, the executive team, that you're really lined up on, on clarity of the strategy and, and clarity of the timing of the execution of the strategy and what the, the small number of key goals and metrics are that we're going to be measured by. It's so much easier to run a big established company in terms of strategy and, and metrics and forecast than it is an early stage company. So being clear on we are agreed, this is the strategy, these are the goals, these are the metrics and how you can help me. But I think the other key thing for a, for a founder and a CEO team is being really clear in your communications with the board members. Each of them will have a different style. Each of them will have a different way they operate. It's really your job to make sure they're informed and you know where they stand on things so that you don't have disconnects at a time when you just can't have any disconnects between individual board members and you, and in particular, the board with each other or the full board against the team. And so you talked a little bit about communication. How would you recommend structuring the board meetings for founders? Anything from the days beforehand to you're in the meeting to make sure you get the most out of the time uh, and, and folks are engaged? Yeah, it's such a great question, Cam. And it's and there, there's no single way, and it'll it'll vary by by stage of company and by experience and maturity of the board and the experience and maturity of the of the management team. While it's nice to have a multi-year outlook or view, you're really working on a very short time horizon, largely because of how much cash you have and and largely because the you just don't have you just don't have a lot of a foundation. You're building a foundation on on changing ground. And so the, the most important thing is, is keeping alignment and getting agreement and keeping alignment on what is our strategy and what, is our, what are our measurable goals. I think the second thing that is absolutely critical is that the CEO assumes responsibility for communicating and keeping individual board members and the full board informed. The worst thing that happens to management teams is surprises. Board surprises are the worst thing that can happen, especially because very few surprises in a board meeting come up that are upside surprises. One thing I've, I've learned over the 15 plus years of doing venture is you always get emails from the CEOs on the quarterly results when they're good either before the quarter ends or right when the quarter ends. And when you don't receive communication from the CEO on how the quarter ended, it's almost universally, it wasn't a good quarter and you missed plan. 
And that consistent communication and that consistent rapport of how you're working with the board member and the full board. And ahead of board meetings, reaching out to each of the board members to find out what are the top items on their mind, on their agenda for the upcoming board meeting. Because it's a bad board meeting almost always when the board members come in with a different agenda on their, in their mind than what the team has prepared for the board meeting. So it's critical that the, the CEO and the leadership team have a way of communicating with the board so that you go into the meeting to talk about the same agenda. And I think the other thing that is really key is if you have a standard set of measures, then you're not doing math camp every single board meeting on agreeing on the numbers and agreeing on what the metrics are. Many, many companies spend an inordinate amount of time on figuring out what are the numbers and figuring out what are the metrics. And that happens board meeting after board meetings, getting the agenda right getting the communication right, getting the goals and metrics right. And then finally, in coming out of the board meeting, an agreed short list of what are the priorities that the board has agreed are going to be the priorities for the company to work on. And those shared priorities are also management's because management always has at least one, usually two key people on that board. So go in, prepare great communication, go in prepared and come out with a short list of outputs that are the agreed outputs for what are the top priorities for the near term between that and the next board meeting or that and the next milestone that's been set. And John, so how have you seen board members be utilized outside of that board meeting? There's just so many different ways. There's board members who are really good at or their network is very good at recruiting. And recruiting is something that I think probably almost every firm works very hard and every company expects their their investors to work very hard to help on. The second thing is really, really good insight into specific functions. Who are the advisors or the experts that can help on product and technical issues? Who are the experts that can help on go-to-market, positioning, pricing? Who are the people that can get those critical early intros into potential customers so that you cut the time it takes to get in front of potential customers that are either going to be lighthouse accounts or going to potentially turn into good leads? And then I think finally, who are those good advisors and people that are wise that can help develop a team, help develop a culture, can coach executives, can coach team members. And then finally, who are the people you can turn to as a leader to just talk to about how dang hard this is? Because it's it's the reason there's so few people start companies is it just takes a unique person to do it. And very, very few people are cut out to start companies. Very few people like the risk. They don't like to make hard decisions. They don't like to be unpopular. They don't like to work as hard as it takes. A CEO is an almost 
inhuman job and it's very lonely. And so who are those advisors that really help you with the struggles of this job that really understand what it is? Other CEOs, other key executives, maybe a board member that's just seen a lot of companies and seen a lot of uh, experiences and they're a good coach or advisor. So there's a broad spectrum. And one of the things I learned very early uh, from a really good executive that I was working under were two things. Don't pretend you know something when you don't. Always ask for advice and build a great network. That's perfect. And I noticed we got a question in the Q&A. What's a good agenda for a board meeting for an early stage company? Is there a standard format to use? You know, I, I think it's, it's around product strategy and or service strategy. It's around team and organization, building team and organization. And the third thing is around finances, resources, and metrics. And keep it as simple as possible. You know, at the start of the day, you have a product or service, then you're building a product or service, and then it has to be sold. In the early days, it's the idea of the product or service, it's the team that builds it, and then there's a team that sells it and maybe a little marketing, and then there's everything else. It's like, do I have enough money to pay for this, and do I have a plan, and am I measuring things so that I know I'm making progress? And then you can get more complicated, but it's so interesting. Most people don't know this, but almost 50% of college graduates will work in sales at some point in their career. And how many colleges even have a sales class? Almost zero. And at the end of the day, a business either has a physical, either has a product that it builds, a service that it creates. Then you have to sell, you have to market and sell that. And then you got to be keeping track of, do I have enough money to do the, do I have a plan and money to fund the plan? Am I getting enough money coming in to keep it going? And then finally, are the metrics good so that somebody's interested in investing in this thing or eventually it'll generate cash so that it has value? And so I would just say, keep it super simple and then evolve as you go, but don't start complicated. So, John, this past year has obviously been a lot of notable company failures in the news, both public with, with SVB and some of the other banks, and also privately as the capital markets have really shrunk down. The growth markets are still relatively closed, and you have founders that are experiencing some pretty difficult scenarios. Is there any, as, as our founders are thinking about creating their boards and, and any lessons learned from the past? Yeah. Gosh, what you see all too often is boards often don't do much until there's a crisis. And bad boards, um, almost universally, don't do much until there's a crisis. But generally, you only see that in hindsight. When there's a big problem, and then once people start digging in, you realize, okay, well, it was always, there were lots of problems over a long period of time. With early stage companies, it's, it's, it's a little harder to uh, avoid crisis because the, the time horizon for how long money is going to last is short. 
And so it's just unbelievable how good this early stage world sorts out winners and losers. But occasionally something comes along, you know, about every 10 years, there's a bubble. And there was a giant bubble recently. So nearly everything got overfunded and nearly everything got evaluation in excess of reality. When I was at Microsoft in the incredible growth years, if you go back over history, one of the things that Bill Gates was remarkable at was always urgency, always a crisis mentality. And I can remember in 1993, Microsoft was just rocking, just rocking. And I don't know what the growth rate was, but it was as enviable as anything we've seen in our lifetimes that was profitable growth. That was the other thing. There was plenty of profit. There was no outside financing worries, et cetera. And he had advice from a CEO from Compaq Computer. This CEO gave Bill the advice, hey, you don't have a crisis, but you will at some point. You need to create a crisis to prolong the date, to push out the date when you will have a crisis. So we went into this mode of reevaluating product, everything we did in product, everything we did in sales and marketing, everything we did in how we ran the business operations wise. And a bunch of great major initiative changes came out of that. So as a founder, as a board member, you just have to, it, and it, you just have to stay focused in the near term, the present, and focused on building a great business and being very real about what's actually happening in the business, staying realistic about building the business, and then knowing that the, the valuations are going to fluctuate based on the market. But are you building a great business and are we making the business better every day and not getting too high with the, the periods that are really exhilarating and not getting too low with the really depressing periods because you're going to have highs and lows. But being able to take constructive criticism from a board when things are good and from when things are bad, but also figuring out who are the people I really need to listen to that are a couple steps ahead of how I'm thinking and if they're constantly bringing up something that I don't want to deal with or I don't want to talk about, and I know it's a big deal, they're probably right. So staying in the moment and staying very focused on just building a great business. And John, shifting a little bit back to the board structure, you've been on a number of board committees, notably the audit committee at at Nike and others, when do you typically see these committees formed for private companies? Yeah, really great question. Uh, you know, generally you won't see these committees get formed until it's kind of obvious the company's going to make it beyond the B round. The C round and above, and, you know, kind of that 25 million of revenue range plus, by then you have enough board members and by then you have enough risk. And by then, it's getting complicated enough for the CEO that they need real help. And you want the, the stewardship over the finances to make sure, you know, what's in the company's financial statements are reflecting reality 
of, of a gap in a, and a public consumption world, whether it's a private company or not. The other thing is, is you want help on thinking about the compensation as well as the remuneration of the team. And learning to really use those two committees to help you run the company better versus them just being governance checklists is something a, a really good CEO does. Phil Knight would attend many, many Nike audit committee meetings when he was chairman and even when he wasn't chairman, because in the audit committee, you're going to find out what's really going on. And the audit committees where if, if there's problems in the audit committee, your company has big problems. And problems with the numbers are very bad. It's bad if you're a public company. It's bad if you're an early stage company. If people don't trust the numbers, you're going to have a very hard time raising money but you're going to have real problems of trust between investors and the team. So the numbers have got to be right. And then developing and compensating the team has to be right. And the incentives have to be right, both for the team, but also for investors. John, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you'd like to, you know, leave the founders with today? Yeah. You know, I think with investors or a board, the team's always being evaluated in every single board meeting in formal or informal ways. So that preparation is really key. The second thing is don't produce too many materials. Don't produce way more materials than can possibly be consumed in a meeting. So short and succinct, high quality trumps volume all the time. As companies get bigger, they get more complicated as they get public. There's so many things that have to go into these committee reports, et cetera, that is governance and checklist. As an early stage private company, you don't have that. So short and succinct and prepared well is key. Every company is just a name and it has a story. And as investors, we either like the name and we like the story or we don't like the name and we don't like the story. And we don't, when we don't like the name and we don't like the story any, anymore, we move to another name and another story. Companies have this big reservoir of goodwill with investors until they don't. And surprises that are bad drain goodwill from, drain water from that reservoir. CEOs and executive teams that are always selling and not transparent, and, and that drains water from that reservoir of goodwill. And then lastly, management teams that aren't straightforward about the risks and issues and how they're dealing with them, when it's known these issues and risks exist, drains the good the, the water from this reservoir of goodwill. So you as early stage and private companies have exactly that same notion of this reservoir of water that's goodwill. And when you surprise negatively, when you come into a meeting always selling and always optimistic, and that's hard because you have to be optimistic, but you can't be selling in a board meeting. And then lastly, when you're 
ignoring or minimizing very big issues and very big risks, that goodwill is being drained and it will impact you in a very lar large way, either with your employment or getting more funding or being able to get the time from the board if the company's not working because investors have to move to other companies that are working if yours isn't. So being very clear, don't surprise, and keep filling up that reservoir of goodwill by, by being straight, not selling, and being very, very clear about what the issues and, and risks are. And uh, you've got a good chance of maintaining trust and support of your, of your board and your team. Is there a board experience that has been the most rewarding for you, you know, over the past 20 years and or any board leaders where you feel like had a big impact on your life? Oh, gosh, such a good question. There have been so many that are of more positives than negatives and so many where I've learned a great deal. I don't know if fun would be the right word, but I would say personally gratifying when you're in a situation on a board and you're working on a really hard problem when it might be that the company's not going to work out and you're running out of cash and you got to do right by the team and you find the that this other board member is such an amazing high quality human in how they dealt with really hard problems where there was nothing but a menu of bad choices, because that's the other thing that you learn as a CEO and you learn as a board member. There's a bunch of situations where there's no good choice. It's just what is the least bad choice? And when you deal with really hard situations and you see such, such character and honesty and grit and perseverance in CEOs or teams or uh, individual board members, that's really gratifying. It's not fun at the time, but it's great for experience. And it's great for knowing what are the kind of people that you want to be more like. Mm -hmm. Probably the, the most rewarding experience was around being around really experienced board members that had really significant roles. And I joined the, the Nike board when uh, Phil was kind of moving it from the early public to it had gotten to a certain scale to the next scale up level. And Tim Cook from Apple joined Alan Graff from Federal Express ex was just before me. John Lechleiter from Eli Lilly, the CEO joined. Orrin Smith, who'd been CFO and CEO of Starbucks joined. John Donahoe joined. He'd been the CEO of eBay and then ServiceNow. And that was a really experienced, incredible group. And I think when we all joined, the market cap was about 15 billion, maybe. And then I think when I departed, it was about 180 billion. So that was a really great board of really talented folks. And it was, gosh, I just learned so much from them. And I think we really challenged, but also helped the management team. So the net is... If you're a CEO or you're a leader of an organization that needs to build a board, build a board that is way better and experienced and wiser than you. 
and that you have to work really hard to satisfy and impress because your organization will be a lot better if you have a great board. Well, I know myself and everyone here at Fuse is very lucky that we get to work and learn from you every day. So, gosh, Cam, I am so lucky I get to work with you guys. I, all my friends and all my family, I just say, how lucky am I get to come work every day with all these young, talented people who have a windshield view of life and are so talented. So, yeah, it's just I'm thankful. So I'll know, I'll know you don't want me anymore when I you stop asking me to come to meetings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's all right. Well, appreciate everyone for joining. Don't hesitate to follow up if you got any questions, and uh, um, you know, appreciate everyone taking the time.